WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. In the past, we've spoken about training parents with children who are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, but we have not spoken about research pertaining to their siblings' experiences and outcomes. Today, we are talking to Jenna Bethel about her research in this. Thanks for joining us today, Jenna. May you please tell us more about yourself and your research? Thanks for having me. I'm a fourth-year doctoral student in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies, and I'm also the lab manager of the Family Stress Lab, where we're studying families with children with autism. And specifically, my work is looking at the typically developing siblings, or TDS, of the children with autism and their experiences and outcomes. It's nice to meet you, Jenna, and thanks for joining us on the show today. Just to clarify for our audience, the families that you're studying are those that have a child that is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and one that doesn't, meaning that they're both siblings with each other. When you're conducting your studies, what is the typical age range of children that you're looking at? And is the age difference between the siblings something that you care about as well? So currently we're looking at a group of adolescent typically developing siblings, as well as a group of emerging adult siblings, which come from surveys that we give at MSU to our undergraduate students. In terms of looking at the different age ranges, that's not something that I've been specifically looking at, but it definitely is something that we would want to consider in the future. To participate in our study, there is no age restriction for the child with autism. So some of these siblings could have a sibling with autism that's a child, and some could have a sibling with autism that's an adult. And that definitely could make a difference. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's really important to understand the dynamic between these siblings and how that diagnosis can affect their relationship and even their family. Whenever you're doing this, how are you doing this exactly? Are you seeing them interact, or are you more surveying the parents? In our study with the emerging adults from MSU, we really just give out a survey through an online web-based data collection called Qualtrics, and that's given yearly, so we're following them over time to kind of see the changes as they go through emerging adulthood. For the adolescent study, what we do is we have the typically developing sibling and the mother come into our lab where we mainly give surveys, but then we also ask them to participate in what we call a conflict task. So we ask the teen to come up with two conflicts, issues, things that they're worried about, and to talk with their mom about that for 15 minutes while we record. And then lastly, we have the teen watch some clips from a uh, TV show called Parenthood, which depicts a family living with a child with autism. And we ask them some questions about how the different clips made them feel or how they're related to their experiences. And then after they go home, we have them actually participate in 14 days, an online daily survey just about their day, how things went. And they also do then a weekend of what we call cortisol collection. So cortisol is a hormone that you can find in saliva and it is used to measure stress levels. So they provide us with saliva samples from that weekend. Wow, that's a lot of different things that you're studying, which is really great. So let's break this down. Let's talk about the videos and the survey first. How does this interaction happen whenever the family comes into your lab or wherever they're meeting you? Do they do the survey first or do they do the videos first? Typically, we have the mom begin with a survey while we have the teen coming up with the issues or challenges that they want to talk to the mom about. Once they have finished coming up with that, then we bring the mom into the room and leave the two of them there to talk. 
We also give them a puzzle to work on. So that way it's not them just awkwardly staring at each other and it can help kind of with the flow of the conversation and make them feel a little bit comfortable. And we also are not in the room. So we are recording and they know that we're recording, but that's hopefully helping them to feel a bit more comfortable and open, not having a stranger sitting there watching them. And then afterwards, they both are brought into separate rooms where they can complete the survey. Something I've been learning about recently is the importance of gaining trust with your community stakeholders, especially whenever you're doing research that involves human participants. When it comes to the surveys that you're giving to the mother and the sibling without autism, how do the questions differ in the kinds of data that you're collecting? A lot of the surveys that we give to them will have things to do with her perceptions of development in terms of the child with autism or the typically developing sibling, as well as her perceptions of her relationship with her children or in a little bit about her parenting too. And as for the typically developing sibling, we ask a lot of questions also about the relationship with their mother or their sibling with autism, general questions about just questionnaires designed to measure things like anxiety or depression, their experiences of caregiving within the home, the positive aspects that they perceive from having a sibling with autism, their perceptions of their mother's parenting of them versus their sibling with autism. The questionnaires about the sibling relationship quality and the kind of activities that they might do together. I think it's really interesting that you would be able to understand if these siblings are more prone to like depression or anxiety. What do you do with this data afterwards? For example, would you share this with other psychologists so that they can help these siblings? As of right now, the prior research and existing literature really has identified that typically developing siblings are more prone to things like depression and anxiety. So that's pretty well known. So within my research, I'm actually trying to identify some of more of the positive outcomes for siblings, such as increased pro-social or just helping behavior, caregiving for their sibling and their families. Really, the goal would be to first just inform other psychologists and other researchers so that way they can better understand the typically developing sibling experience. And then the long-term goal of all the work I do is to eventually inform either another type of intervention or prevention support program, or to create one of those types of programs or interventions myself in order to kind of give typically developing siblings and their families the best experiences and outcomes. I don't think it's really hard to understand just how much implication the results of your data are going to have on, like how you said, future interventions when it comes to helping families that are trying to raise a child both with autism and without autism. It only makes the dynamics so much more intense. I could see how you were able to recruit MSU students since you're a student yourself and you're able to send emails to different groups. But how did you go about recruiting different families that have these particular family dynamics? Recruiting families with children with autism is actually a little bit challenging just because they are so busy that it's hard for them to take time out of their week to come to our lab and talk with us and complete the entire study. So we had to use multiple different ways. One of the big ways we used was actually Facebook advertisements that would go out to anyone local who matched a certain set of criteria. We also would put up flyers around the East Lansing and Lansing area that advertised our studies. And we even tried to keep up to date with events that were happening in the community. So one that we regularly would attend was called Falconers. It's a program for children with autism at the Potter Park Zoo. So every month we would be there with a table advertising our study to the families that came. We've done some episodes over there and we love working with them. 
Now to focus on the videos, whenever you're taking these videos, can you tell us more details about what they're doing? For example, do you tell them to perform certain actions or do you more observe their dynamics? And then how do you analyze that data? We really just observe them talking with each other. They have a very minimal set of instructions. We tell them that they have 15 minutes to talk about both the issues that they came up with, and then we leave them for the 15 minutes. So some participants don't even talk the full 15 minutes. It's really up to them. In terms of analyzing the videos, we usually use behavioral coding schemes. So coding schemes that we have been trained in where we look for certain behaviors and determine if they're present. We could also look at the frequency of behaviors or kind of the intensity of them as well. So some things that we have started coding are things like the level of warmth that the mother and the teen show towards each other, how well they listen to one another, teen's maturity level. Currently, I'm trying to get funding to look at the mother-teen relationship a little bit more deeply and look at things like pro-social and helping behaviors between them, how connected they feel to one another. With minimal instruction, I can imagine the amount of great care that is needed to actually analyze these videos appropriately and code them for the different behaviors being exhibited. Something I think about is how different backgrounds can impact the dynamics that occur within a family. How do the demographics of your data set compare, for example, to the local mid-Michigan community? Would you say that it represents it appropriately, or will you only be able to make these findings for, for one particular group? Unfortunately, I think our sample probably is not entirely representative of the greater Lansing community. For the most part, the majority of our participants are white, middle, upper class. So there isn't a ton of diversity. And part of that is due to how hard it was to just collect data in the first place. But definitely moving forward, since a lot of the autism research has focused on white, upper middle class people, that is something that we would really like to do. So that way we can actually have results that apply to all people, not just one type. It's good that you recognize your survey population, and it's great that you're working to diversify the pool of participants in your surveys. Now, to backtrack a little, you had mentioned that you did a study with MSU students. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and maybe even what were your findings? Yeah, so this study was in a way similar to the one that we're doing with the teens in that we give a lot of the same questionnaires, but this study is completely online. And we are following them throughout their four years at MSU, which gives us a really unique opportunity to look at not only some of their outcomes and experiences, but how they might change over time, especially during this new period in their life where they're moving away from home and kind of identifying who they are and getting used to not living with their family and their sibling with autism. In terms of findings, we have a lot of data, which is great. So there's a lot of different questions we can ask and answer. So far, some of the things that I've looked at have really focused on kind of pro-social or helping behaviors and caregiving and some things that we found with that there is a relationship between caregiving during childhood, whether it's caring for your parents or caring for your sibling, and then also typically developing siblings level of pro-social behavior, which is just helping behavior in general. So there is a connection between caring for your family members and also then helping within the general population. Like you had mentioned earlier in the interview, the two people that you were surveying in your study for adolescence was both the mother and the sibling without autism. How does that change now for the study that you're performing with the MSU students? Are any family members involved or is it simply only the MSU student themselves that you're collecting data for? 
So for the emerging adult or MSU student study, we are only collecting data from the sibling. For convenience sake, we've sent out the surveys just to the emerging adult typically developing siblings rather than their parents as well. It's a lot easier to send out an email to these siblings, but I think it would be really difficult to get parent involvement in this type of a study with undergraduate students because so many of them come from far away. And when we first started this study, it was before the pandemic had started and before we started utilizing a lot more of these online resources like Zoom. I think it would be really hard to recruit parents to be involved in this kind of study with undergrads just because the undergrads may come from really far away. And so it's hard to have the parents come here for our study. And this study took place before the pandemic hit and we started utilizing more resources like Zoom so that way we can conduct research without people physically being in the same room. Yeah, it's really nice how Zoom opens a lot more doors for us and that people don't have to travel. Now, one more thing we would like to discuss is about how you mentioned cortisol earlier in the interview. You said that you take a spit sample of these participants and measure their cortisol levels. Could you please tell us more about this and why specifically you're doing this? So the participants essentially just spit into a tube three times a day for that one weekend. They freeze it and then we come and pick it up from them. In terms of then analyzing the cortisol, we aren't able to do that in our labs, so we ship it off to a company that will do it for us, and then they mail us the results. So part of the reason we're doing this is because, as it says in our name, the Family Stress Lab, we are interested in stressful experiences and stress, and cortisol provides us a more objective way of looking at stress. Someone can write down on a survey how stressed they're feeling, but the cortisol allows us a more objective way of looking at stress without the potential biases that we can sometimes see in self-report surveys. And then another thing that we're interested in too would be looking at how the mother and teen's stress levels relate to one another. So if the teen is having a particular stressful day, is the mother also feeling stressed out, vice versa? And so this also gives us a good way to look at that, but in an objective manner. I gotta say, that cortisol project that you're working on sounds really interesting, and I'm really excited to hear about whenever you get results for that and how you can relate it to the data that you collected whenever you're performing your surveys. Getting back to the surveys on a more personal note, I wanted to learn about what for you was the most impactful experience that you've had performing these surveys? Were there any sort of experiences that made you realize, wow, this is just really incredible work and I'm really happy to be doing it? In terms of the surveys, in both studies, we don't have a ton of interaction with the actual participants or the siblings other than that short period of time when they're participating in the study. But looking through and kind of analyzing some of the results of the study, one thing that has really struck me is I've looked at this measure that we called the benefit finding scale. And so benefit finding just refers to someone's ability to identify the positives or benefits from a challenging or stressful situation. And so we've modified this measure so that way it's specific to having a sibling with autism. In other words, it's a measure that's asking siblings what are the benefits that they see from having a sibling with autism. And just seeing that a lot of them endorse quite a few different benefits and that they feel that there are a lot of positive aspects to having a sibling with autism is really great. Because I think typically a lot of society may think of having a sibling with autism or a disability more as just a challenge when really there are a lot of benefits and siblings do love their sibling with autism. And these families are great families that aren't just characterized by stress and challenges. Yeah, Jenna, I bet it's a really fulfilling feeling to do the research that you're conducting. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today about this research, and we look forward to seeing your future publications. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.